We started last week looking at the subject of living and growing as a Christian. Uh, it's an important subject because we need to live as Christians. We don't want to die and wither and drift. We need to live. And we also ought to want to grow as Christians, uh, to develop, to uh, progress. And uh, last time, I've done a little plant there in a plant pot because we looked at the soil in which Christianity grows and the Bible says that Christians are rooted and that word should say foundationed or rooted, grounded in Jesus Christ. And last time we looked in a little bit of depth at how you come to be a Christian, you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, and the fact that you then grow as a Christian, rooted and grounded in him, in the same soil that you were planted originally. And what I thought we could look at just now is uh, living and growing via the word of God, or the word of Christ, not just any old words, but via the word of God and prayer. So those two things to think about this morning. We live and grow, do we, by the word of God and prayer. And rather unusually, I'm going to take my text from Reverend Andy Christofides, who I, uh, he's a minister in South Wales, St. Melons, funny name, isn't it? Um, fancy, anyway, don't go down that route. Uh, so, uh, and he, he said, I remember him saying this in, in the talk, he said, I have got the secret of how you can live a Christian life that is full and rich and strong and how you can be effective in ministry. And he built it all up and it, it, so we were wondering what he was going to say. And he said, it's this, it's read your Bible, pray every day. And he sang it, read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your, something like that, you see. It's very simple. And my, my, is it is it actually a song? Is it a, yeah, okay, right. Oh, well, I thought he made it up, but um, uh, so, anyway, so I won't give him the credit next time. Um, but I'd like to think about that. It's just a simple thing. Is, the, uh, is Was he right? Is the song right? Uh, how, and, and why is that the case? And how can we put it into practice? Don't think I'm going to cover all of those things. But at least let's have a think about this. This is the text. Read your Bible, pray every day. That's what we're thinking about. Um, now, does, does, regardless of what uh, Candy Christofides says, uh, what does Jesus say? And there is this text that we began with right at the beginning. Uh, I will find it in my Bible and read it to you, um, because I don't always write them write it down on the screen with complete accuracy. And if you want to, you could find it in your Bible. John 15, verse 7. This is the bit where Jesus is talking about being the vine and the branches. And he says, as part of what he says, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, 
that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves, or being, or as befits my disciples. And you have to say that in this quote from Jesus, it's very, very much like what Andy Christofides said. He does say, if you remain in me. So the importance, not of a technique, not of a ritual, but basically of Jesus Christ. He's saying, do you remain in me? So that, that links with what we were thinking last time, doesn't it? You remain in me. But he does link with words. And my words remain in you. Are my words in you? Are they staying in you? And then he does link it to prayer. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. So he talks about prayer. And then he also links it with the Father's glory and the fruitfulness of being a disciple. Uh, it, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, thus being or showing yourselves to be my disciples. So that really says the same thing, doesn't it? So I pause to, to point out that being a Christian is not an, just a sort of hours add-on to a life which is just the same as everybody else's. Jesus has this very radical view of what it is to be a Christian. It's being in Christ. If you remain in me. And it links to the word of God and it links to prayer and it links to the Father's glory and that it's to do with bearing fruit and being disciples. So that starts us off. Now the next thing I'd like to do is consider a couple of objections because if you've thought about it, you might have thought, well actually I've tried this and I've got some objections. Um, number one, reading the Bible daily is really heading towards legalism and a sort of slavery. Reading the Bible daily is heading into legalism and slavery. It's interesting to try and define legalism, because there is, of course, such a thing as obedience. So just being told to do something doesn't make it legalism. Uh, Jesus commanded us to love one another. That's not legalism. But legalism tends to have the idea of something external, something that you, you do to earn favour or something like that. So I've got a couple of answers to it. Number one, reading the Bible daily, which is what Andy Christophides was talking about, is actually a relatively modern idea because people haven't had Bibles, haven't had their own Bibles for, well, when, when, did, when was printing? I remember... I remember looking this up, but I don't remember what the answer was. When did William Caxton start printing? 15-something or other? 16th century. So the idea of actually being able to afford a Bible or have a Bible has only been a possibility in the last however many, what's that, 400 years? If you consider that 2,000 years, last fifth of uh, the Christian era. So... If you, if you talk about personal Bible reading as such, that's a relatively modern idea.
But I want to say that meditating on God's word, a more general way of looking at it, is as old as faith itself. So let me tell you about Abraham. I'm going to read you from Genesis chapter 12. If you would like to look it up at the same time, you are more than welcome to do so. Genesis, I'm sorry, Abraham is the model for the Christian. I know he's in the Old Testament, but he's held up to us as being the father of faith. He shows us what it's all about. And Abraham's story uh, gets into gear with these uh, sentences, these verses, Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. That's the way the story of Abraham works and as I say it is a model for the spiritual life. It is a model for faith and it is basically a response to God's words. How did, what made Abraham any different from anybody else? Well, it really comes down to this. God spoke to him. God promised things to him. God told him to do things. That is all to do with words. Now, you might, well, well I'll, I'll come to another objection later, but Abraham lived the Christian life or the spiritual life by the words of God. That's what he did. Uh, Calvin, uh, one of the old commentators on this, says that at some points in his life, Abraham had nothing but the naked word of God to hang on to. Uh, everything seemed to be going wrong, but all he had was what God had said. So, um, reading the Bible daily is, is not necessarily uh, is relatively modern, but hanging on to God's word daily is as old as, at least as old as Abraham. Let me give you another example. Joshua. So I'll read from Joshua chapter 1. And how was Joshua to live the spiritual life or indeed to serve as a leader and I am going to read from Joshua chapter 1 from verse 5 where it says no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses so I will be with you I will never leave you nor forsake you be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them be strong and very courageous be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And that's uh, 
pretty much the sets the tone for the spiritual life of Joshua. And I want to say Joshua was an achiever. Through Joshua, uh, the promises of God were fulfilled, the purposes of God went forward, and the people of Israel entered, uh, entered into the promised land. And what is, what is he told about this? Well, for a start, he's told stuff. The thing that God does to him to get him going in his ministry is to speak to him. It's interesting, isn't it? God doesn't, we're not told God's put his hand on Joshua, although he could have done that. It doesn't say God, um, doesn't say God gave him a vision, although there are visions in the Bible. What, what it does say is he spoke to Joshua. He was an achiever and he's told in these words that he will be successful and prosperous via meditating on God's word. Verse 8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So think about it, talk about it, and do it. Obedience. Uh, do not turn to the right or to the left. Where does it say that? It says, be careful to obey, verse 7, the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. So it, it, the principle is clear, isn't it? Certainly for Joshua, what's going to make him a, a successful achiever? It is the word of God, which he thinks about, talks about, and obeys, not turning to the left or the right. That's, that, that's how, now you might say, uh, well, it's different in the New Testament. Well, you might say that, but it was certainly that way for Joshua. He was to take to heart the Word of God. Now, as I say, he didn't read the Bible every day. Well, he might have had a copy, but most people wouldn't. But he did was to think about it, to have it in his life and in his heart. Well, as objection number one. Uh, objection number two. Whoops, no. Well, answer number two. Answer number two. So the, the objection was that it makes us into slaves. And my answer is that words, thinking about the words of God, meditating on the words of God, does not make us slaves, but is the proper activity of sons. Now you know in the Bible that the, these two things are put as opposites. You can be a slave which we're not supposed to be, we're supposed to be sons. It's a different way of relating to God. We're not slaves full of fear and anxiety uh, and insecurity. We're supposed to be sons who are secure, who are uh, in a relationship of love and willing obedience and closeness. And I'm saying that words are part of our sonship. Uh, I say sonship because that's the way that scripture often speaks. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. It's the word through which we become members of God's family. I know it also says born again of the spirit, but in 1 Peter it says, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23, it says you have been born again 
not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You've been born again through the word of God. And let me give you another example of words and sonship. This way, this time it's a uh, different way round. This is Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 where uh, Paul says, Because you are sons, God sent... Let me find it properly. 4 verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. Since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. The language of sonship is to do with being an heir. But um, my point here was that here are some words which are son-type words. Uh, Born again through the word of God and what is the particular action of the spirit who makes us children of God? Well, we speak to God. We call out Abba, Father. And that's a matter of words, isn't it? So I'm simply saying that words are not the opposite of sonship. They are part of being in God's family. A son, Jesus, of course, is the great model of this, willingly and happily listens to his father's instruction and calls out to him in prayer. Being a son, isn't it? Listening to what your father says. My son, listen to my instruction, is part of being a son, not a slave. So two object, uh, one objection there. Second objection coming up. This objection, that word-based spirituality loses the spirit. So that if you're thinking too much about God's word, you lose touch with the spirit. This is the objection. And the objection might also be put like this. If you, are, if you make your spiritual life word-based, it becomes cerebral. Okay? Cerebral is a brainy word which means brainy. It means brainy. And the idea of this objection is that if your spiritual life is brainy, it's not godly. Now that actually is quite a... Um, a strong objection and people will object uh, I suppose really to the way we do things in our church on that sort of basis they say well you're all word and you quench the spirit uh, well we may quench the spirit but it's not just because we honor God through his word uh, there are a couple of um, well here's, here's an answer quenching and resisting the spirit. Now we don't want to quench and resist the spirit. We certainly don't want to do that. Uh, uh, there are, I don't think there are many examples in the New Testament where it talks about quenching the spirit or resisting the spirit, but here are a couple. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, don't quench, put out, resist, throw cold water on the spirit. But what, the way, what he says is that that's what you do if you resist God's word. Um, what he actually says is this. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. 
Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Have I put, done that right? Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Now, see, one thing he's not saying is let go of what God says and then you won't uh, and if you let go of, the, of, of God speaking then you won't quench the spirit what he actually says is hold on to what God says isn't it he says do not put out the spirits fire do not treat prophecies with contempt saying there's God's word to quench the spirit is to have contempt for what God says and then he goes on to say test everything he doesn't say take your head off, take your brain off, leave it outside. He says, oh, if you're not going to quench the spirit, you need to be thinking. You need to be testing things. You need to be holding on to the good. You see, uh, respecting God's word does not mean that you quench the spirit. It's the opposite. If you, if you resist God's word, you quench God's spirit. Let's have another example. Acts 7.51. This is the speech of Peter when he accuses his hearers of resisting the Spirit. And in what way do they resist the Spirit? Well, in a fairly typical way. Acts 7.51. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. Did I write that in? No, I didn't. You are just like your fathers, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Well, these people resisted the Holy Spirit. How did they resist the Holy Spirit? Well, they resisted the Holy Spirit because they resisted God's word. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. So resisting the Spirit here is, again, resisting what God has said, not listening, and not doing what God says. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, so word-based spirituality does not lose the Spirit, it's resisting the word that loses the Spirit. Uh, and my second answer to this objection is that word-based spirituality is meant to be the whole word of God for the whole person. So that's all God's words in terms of his promises, in terms of Christ who comes to us through the word, in terms of the gospel, in terms of the hope of the word of God, in terms of the warnings of the word of God, and that is to come to us, not just in our brain boxes, but to form us as people who are godly and wise, people who have understanding, people who have faith, people who worship, people who repent, people who obey, and have all the range of responses that the human makeup is capable of, including our emotions, our hope, our love, our fear, our joy, our sorrow, etc., etc. Uh, Word-based spirituality is the whole word of God for the whole of our makeup. That's the way it ought to be. I'm not saying it always is that, 
Um, but that's what, it, that's, what it's, that's what the aim of it is. And at some point I wanted to say, let's see whether I've said it here. Um, uh, we're not talking about just having a lot of words. The words are there to be believed and obeyed. And it strikes me that you can have a lot of words with actually quite a small amount of faith and obedience, which is not what it's supposed to be. And you can actually have a, a, a relatively small amount of words. The people who have a relatively small amount of words capitalize on that hugely and from the, that small word input have a lot of faith and a lot of obedience. So you don't just make the equation a lot of words means a lot of godliness. But what the Bible does say is if you want to grow, the spiritual life is to do with having God's word dwelling richly within you. Anyway, those two objections. Let's go a little bit further. asking the question would the Lord Jesus say to me read your Bible pray every day would, would Jesus say that mm. interesting question actually I mean, it, it, there isn't a place in the Bible where he is quoted as saying that um, <clears throat> I don't think he would have said it because in his day the Bible was not complete so there wasn't a Bible like we have in the time of the Lord Jesus, it wasn't written, was it? And it wasn't printed. So as I repeat again, that uh, actually having a Bible is so useful, but it's not um, of the essence of the thing. But Jesus would have said, and he definitely did say, what he says in Mark chapter 4. What does he say in Mark chapter 4? This is a parable about living and growing as a Christian. And he says in Mark 4, 1 to 20, it's the one about sowing the seed. Do you remember this one? Jesus taught them. He was, uh, he was gathered round the lake. Uh, Jesus began to teach them by the lake and there was a big crowd and he said, here, well, I'll tell you all about it. I'll tell you all about it. It's, about, it's like a farmer going out to sow seed. And he sows the seed. He throws it out. And it lands in different places. And in the different places, it has different results. Full stop. And uh, the people listening are wondering, what was that about? It sounded great. And even the disciples didn't understand it. It's a great parable, Lord. Really enjoyed that one didn't actually understand what you meant though and, uh, and Jesus says I'm really surprised because this is as it were the master parable it's the one that um, is the key that unlocks all the parables and uh, so perhaps he does have to explain it the farmer sows something what is it that's being sown do you remember what Jesus explained it as the word the farmer uh, sows the word verse 14, chapter, Mark 4 verse 14, the farmer sows the word. That's, what, that's the, where the, the seed of it is. And the people who grow, uh, and the, the crop that grows up most, the crop that grows up most 
uh, is, uh, Jesus explains it, he says, like the seed that's sown on good soil, what is, how does Jesus say? He says, they hear the word, they accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. What's the Lord Jesus saying? He's saying, I want to tell you, that, tell you how the spiritual life works, in a very simple picture. It's to do with the word. It's to do with receiving the word. It's to do with accepting it, and it grows and produces fruit. It's not quite the same thing as saying, read your Bible every day, but it's not far off, is it? It's not far off. It's saying to us, you want to be fruitful. Do you want to be fruitful as a Christian? I hope you do. We ought to want to be fruitful. What's the secret then? It's having the word and cultivating it in our hearts and lives so that we are fruitful people. That's what it is about. And maybe somebody will say, oh, well, that's cerebral. Well, okay, you can say what you like, but that's what Jesus says is the way to do it. Interesting, isn't it? And Jesus also, just as a sort of almost random example, a bit further on in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, talked about the crucial issue of being ashamed of Jesus. And in Mark 8:38, he says, If anyone is ashamed of me in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. He says it's really crucial here to accept me, because if you don't accept me, I won't accept you. If you're embarrassed to, to, uh, to have me, then I will be embarrassed to have you on that uh, final great day. Did you notice that? So you might be saying, well, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to have the Lord Jesus. That's good. Did you notice the bit I missed out? He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words. So you might be saying, I'm not embarrassed about the Lord Jesus. I'm a bit embarrassed about his words. Can't be that bothered with the things that he said. Can't be that bothered. Cerebral, you know. And Jesus says, hold on a minute. If you're, ashamed, if you're ashamed of my words, you're ashamed of me. If you're ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of you on that great day. It's interesting, isn't it? The Lord Jesus says, if you have me, you can have my words. And let me give you one other example from the Lord Jesus Mark 14, 21. Mark 14, 21. This is just a little insight into the life of Jesus. At this crucial point where he is about to go to the cross, Mark 14, 21, he says, The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. This is a little fragment of what he says. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. Very interesting that Jesus should say that. He's talking about going to his death on the cross. Uh, and you think, well, is this happening accidentally? Is this a terrible tragedy? And Jesus is saying, well, no, no. There is a deep purpose in my going to the cross. And how does Jesus, get, how does Jesus come to know that? 
Well, apparently, Jesus says, it is written. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to do this, because it is written that I do this. Now, where is it written? It's written in the Bible. That's what Jesus keeps referring to. It says it in the Bible. I know it says it in the Bible because I've read it and thought about it and I've thought about it a lot. And that is going to determine for me, says Jesus, how I'm going to behave in this crisis. I will do what it says in the Bible. And I put there as a summary, Jesus assumed... He didn't stop and prove it. He says, well, everybody knows the Bible is the word of God. And Jesus modelled a life nourished on scripture and lived in faith and obedience. The Son of Man will do what the Bible says he's going to do. And I don't know whether we can catch a glimpse of this wonderfully beautiful picture of our Saviour's relationship to scripture to the word of his father, that he imbibes it, he drinks it in, he meditates on it, he thinks about it. He must have spent hours and hours thinking, perhaps like you and I do sometimes, particularly finding somewhere quiet. I dare say Jesus memorized, he probably might have memorized the whole of scripture, thinking about it, calling it to mind, bringing it to bear, Perhaps even thinking it through, is this, what does, what does the Bible say about the Messiah and the way his, his life ends? And richly working that all through. Do, is the Bible in our minds as richly as that? Reading the Bible every day would be a good step towards it, wouldn't it? Be a good step towards it. And I'm sort of not doing so much on prayer as I might have done but I could point out that Jesus willingly and naturally spent time alone with his father in prayer just going back to the beginning of Mark's gospel Mark 1.35 the beginning of Mark's gospel when things are beginning to kick off when popularity is beginning to grow, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I find that a very uh, wonderful sentence. As the Lord Jesus, things are getting really busy. You'd think that the first thing that he would do would be turn on his computer, get get his emails sorted out. But what he actually does is he says, I, what I need to do, I need to get alone, I need to free myself from these other important and pressing things and just speak to my father about all that's happening. I need to be with my father in prayer. That's what it says, isn't it? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they said, everybody's looking for you, there's loads of things you should be doing. And Jesus has said, well, no, I've deliberately left those things to go and pray. And my thought is, if that was true of the Lord Jesus, how much more it ought to be true for us. If the Lord Jesus, who was somebody so strong, 
and so clear and so holy. And he had no sin, of course. If the Lord Jesus says, well, I need to pray, then how much more for us who are weak and muddled and sinful? We need to pray. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of the Lord Jesus spending time in prayer. So would Jesus have said, read your Bible, pray every day? Well, he wouldn't necessarily have put it quite like that. But the things he did say, reading our Bibles and praying every day would be a pretty good way of fulfilling what he did say. Do you say, does that make sense? That's a rather complicated sentence. Shall I try it again? Yeah? I don't know whether I dare, actually. Um, Jesus spoke about and modelled being filled with the word of God and living a life of prayer. Let us take that on board. Let us seek to be filled with the word of God and live lives of prayer. And if we were to say, I'm going to read my Bible and pray every day, that would be a pretty good way of fulfilling it. That's what I'm trying to say. So that was the Lord Jesus. I want to, I've got two more slides. So we've asked Jesus whether he would have said, read your Bible, pray every day. And I want to say, would Paul have ever told his young congregations, read your Bible, pray every day? So that's my question. So if we, we could, in, in imagination, go and find the Apostle Paul as he's traipsing from Ephesus to Corinth or somewhere, say, hey, by the way, Paul, just come across this great song, read your Bible, pray every day. How about doing that with your next congregation? Would you have said, oh, great, wish I'd thought of that myself? Or would you have said, oh, blah, 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 blah. Well, I think he wouldn't have automatically said yes for the same reason of the Lord Jesus. The Bible still wasn't complete. Actually, Paul was still writing it. So he couldn't tell people to read stuff that he hadn't yet written. Do you see what I mean? But he's in process of writing the Bible. And the idea of every Christian having their own Bible was still a long way off. They would have had to do it some other way. But reading our Bibles and praying a pretty good way to do the sort of things that Paul would have said. Let me give you some examples. What did he say to the Ephesians? Well, Ephesians chapter 6. This is what he did say to them. He said, put on the whole armour of God. He says, you're in a battle situation. You need to be battle ready and put on the whole armour of God. And there's various components in his uh, idea of, uh, of armour. He talks about the belt of truth breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It talks about the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, he says, be alert, keep on praying for all the saints. Well, that's quite a lot, isn't it? But you notice... But he, he does say, he doesn't say pray every day, he doesn't use those exact words, but he does say jolly well pray, doesn't he? Keep on praying. Pray, you know, not just once a day, but twice a day. Or pray while you're walking around. Pray while you're doing the housework. 
pray while you're um, changing the baby's nappy. Um, just be a person of prayer. Keep on praying. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. He definitely said that. And do you see what he said about the Word? He didn't say, read your Bible every day. But he did say, have the belt of truth buckled round your waist. And he did say, you need faith. And faith comes from the Word of God. And he did say, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you see? So he's saying... Christian, you need to be a word person. You need to have all sorts of things. But part of that is a strong equipping in God's word and a strong life of prayer. Do you see what he's saying there? Uh, what, what did he say to the Colossians? Uh, what did he say to the Colossians? What did he say to the Colossians? Colossians chapter 2. Now, the very fact that we have the letter to the Colossians is that he, he clearly believed that the good thing for them was for him to write down what to believe, how to act and how to react. So, in, in writing it, he's saying, you need the Bible because I'm writing it to you now. It's the best thing I can do. The most helpful thing is to give it and read it. Think about it. See, so just the very act of writing it. But in chapter 2, verses 4 to 7, he talks about, as we saw last week, being rooted and built up in Christ, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. He says, hang on to the things you were taught. You need to be thinking about those things. You don't need to be pushing aside. You don't need less teaching. That won't help you at all. You need as much as you can take in and digest. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 16, on, this, on the matter of uh, what they do when they gather together. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. He says that's what's supposed to characterize your music when you get together and when you sing. What's that all about? Well he says... It's all about the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. And he certainly would say to them in chapter 4 verse 7, uh, he would certainly say, do I mean chapter 4 verse 7? I'm looking for devote yourselves to prayer, which is chapter 4 verse 2. It's the, same, it's the same thing over and over again, isn't it? How are we to live and grow in Christ? We're to be filled with his word, taking it in, thinking about it, meditating on it, obeying it, trusting in God through it. We're to be living lives of prayer. This is how we live and grow. And there's much, much more where that came from. So how might we live and grow as Christians in regard to the word of God and prayer? Uh, Here's some pieces of advice with this we close. Um, how can we live and grow as Christians? Number one, by hearing the gospel and the message of Christ. That's the way we come to faith. By the gospel message, which is what the apostles wrote 
and taught and preached and is the Old Testament on which Jesus nourished his own soul. It's the Bible. That's where we get it from. We don't get it anywhere else. If you haven't got the Bible, you're left with zilch. That's where we, we need to go, to the Bible. And by absorbing, memorizing, learning, meditating on Scripture personally. And I want to put obeying because it's ridiculous just to know Scripture without obeying it. That's, uh, it's there to be obeyed. Uh, now, I, I think we need help with this. And I think we take any help that we can get. Uh, and different things help different people. And something that was helpful at one time, you might find, maybe I need some help from something else. So I say take all the help that we can get. If you, uh, uh, Chris has got some good Bible reading notes. Uh, he can point you in that direction. So there's a little booklet with a date on it and a passage and then some helpful comments. And uh, it will take you 10 or 15 minutes to read that and then perhaps a helpful prayer to pray at the bottom. That, that, that's good help. If, uh, have a go. if you need help, there's, there's a place to turn. Or maybe um, you think, well, I've done that and I got a bit tired of it. Well, try another, a different one. Or maybe you think, I can never keep up the dates, everything seems to go haywire in my life. Okay, well, try a different way. Just try something, say to the Lord, I am keen, I want to do this, I want to have your word richly in me. Now show me some way that, will, you know, that, I can, that is really workable. Maybe it be reading through um, you know, in your own speed with a helpful book, but make sure that the helpful book doesn't become the main thing that you read and you miss out reading the Bible. Just get help and uh, get some guidance. Uh, reading the Bible with somebody else is something very helpful, very helpful. Somebody offers to read the Bible with you for an hour, a week, week or something like that. That's not an offer to, uh, to turn down, really. Uh, um, use technology. I mean, th this is technology, isn't it? This is print. It never used to be like this. This is modern technology. You might get, you might get the Bible on your iPhone or your iPad or whatever other eye thing you've got. Uh, don't be ashamed of that. If, it, if, it's, if it's helpful, do it. Uh, prayer. Uh, we, uh, what should we do? Well, praying alone, uh, like Jesus did, sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes our minds are wandering. Um, prayer, a, a list, a not too long prayer list is a helpful thing. There's uh, one that uh, um, is available to all church members of all, all the people's names on it in the church and all the things that we pray for. I actually find that quite helpful um, but to uh, help with prayer. Praying with others and for others. When, Jesus, when they said, Jesus, when they asked Jesus, how shall we pray? And he said, you pray our Father. Do you notice the our? It's to do with being with other Christians and praying for other Christians. It's helpful to get with other Christians to pray. If somebody offers to pray with you, that's a good offer to take up. Uh, that is the reason why we have uh, 
a prayer meeting in the church. We have a prayer time on Wednesdays, and most of the time is prayer. You might find it a bit daunting. You might think, oh, I don't want, I'm too shy to pray out loud. It's actually not as difficult as you might think. But it's very helpful to pray with other people. Just to sit and listen to other people's prayers and be able to say amen at the end is a helpful thing. So praying alone, praying with others and praying for others. Being part of a Christ-centered community. Although I've talked about reading the Bible, praying as an individual, it all fits together with the community of people, the group of people that, that we're with. And finding a way to do this, not just when we have a rush of enthusiasm, but to sustain feeding on the word and to sustain prayer. And I have to say that routine is often a great help. If you say, I pray at such and such a time every day, then it's a helpful thing to do. I know that sometimes days don't fit the right sort of pattern. It is said of Charles Wesley's mother, and you correct me if I'm wrong on this, that, that when she had loads of children, goodness knows how many, and uh, at a certain time in the day, as she is baking, washing, etc., etc., at certain times during the day, she would take her apron, put it up over her head, and tell the children to leave her alone for a bit, and she would, that was her time of prayer. Said, I'm going to pray. I don't know whether you could make that work, actually, but it's an, in, it's an interesting insight, isn't it, as to, as to how people in the past have, have done that. Read your Bible, pray every day, said Andy Christofides, and he wasn't too far wrong, was he? Let's close by singing together.